What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome, everyone, to another Baseball America College podcast. Along with Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. This season's college podcast is sponsored by Project Lomo. Since losing his dad to lung cancer in 2010, Logan Morrison of the Miami Marlins has worked tirelessly for a cause he cares about, fighting lung cancer. Now he's asking young fans to find a cause they care about and do something about it. You can learn about it at projectlomo.mlblogs.com, where you can get on the project's email list or by liking the Project Lomo page on Facebook. It's a really great initiative, and the young fans who do the most amazing projects will have a chance to go to a Marlins game, meet Logan Morrison and some of his Marlins teammates, throw out the first pitch, and win $1,000. That's projectlomo.mlblogs.com, and they are the sponsor of this year's college podcast, Aaron, the regular season is over, on to the postseason, on to the 64-team field of the NCAA tournament. No NIT, no CBI, no other tournaments in college baseball. Only 64 Mm. of the 296 Division I teams make the postseason field, which to me makes it one of, if not the most difficult postseason in all of college sports to make. Then to win Mm -hmm. the national championship, you have to win basically – three or four weekends. you got to win a four-team regional, a two-team super, then basically another four-team regional in Omaha, and a two-team super again in Omaha. So a very challenging postseason to me, uh, the way that college baseball is set up. And it's just by a razor's edge, Aaron, that a team like Auburn, that won a series against Florida head-to-head and won a series at Texas A&M, doesn't get into the tournament, which leads to John Pulaski, their head coach, getting fired this afternoon. Meanwhile, Texas A&M, which has its athletic director on the NCAA baseball committee, uh, gets into the NCAA tournament, not only in, but as a number two seed, um, when really, and really the Aggies, and I feel like they've been uh, the br- born the brunt of criticism today, and they don't deserve all the criticism, but that sure seems fishy, and we see the, the, the real human cost of some fishiness there, where A&M gets in probably at Auburn's expense, and Auburn's uh, coaching staff loses loses their jobs. And, and the sense I get is that it didn't even come down to A&M versus right. Auburn. It came, down, it came down to Florida versus Auburn. I mean, again, A&M, we talked about this before, but A&M is, is a two-seed. Uh, they weren't even in the discussion on the bubble, and, and they had no business 
they had no business being a two seed. I don't even think they should have gotten in. Um, you know, for all the reasons we've talked about, ten and twenty-two. You know, six and thirteen. Yep. Those two numbers, ten and twenty-two, six and thirteen. They're burning my head. It's, I mean, come on, you guys. This is insane. You're, you're going to punish, you know, Seton Hall because they're only 10 and 16 against the top 100. You let this other team in the SEC in that's 10 and 22 against the top 100. Uh, you're going to reward Texas A&M for their non-conference strength of schedule, even though they both played a three-game series against Pepperdine. Seton Hall swept it on the road. A&M lost two out of three at home to Pepperdine. I, it makes no sense to me that one, that whatsoever. One, that that. <laughs> juxtaposition of A&M and, and Seton Hall, the one that makes the least sense. And I've spoken to Eric Hyman. It's been a while ago, but I've been yelled at by Eric Hyman, and it was over something as stupid <laughs> as branding when he was at TCU. Goodness. And I respect Eric Hyman for being a guy who has been at three real baseball kind of schools in TCU, South Carolina, and Texas A&M. Clearly, he, he cares about baseball. But I don't respect the track record <laughs> throughout, and it really does seem like the politics – Really played into it, and uh, there's no, just no logical explanation otherwise for Texas A&M getting the field. I guess, Aaron, I do think Texas A&M is the biggest uh, problem I have in the field, and it's not even so much with the team. Um, like we've said, they're just, they're just, it's just very hard to find something on their resume that gets them in over some of those other teams. I did not mean to go off on that tangent, but just the Auburn uh, coaching staff losing his jobs. I don't know Coach yeah. Pulowski very well. Um, have to, you know, I don't know Coach Childress very well at, at Texas A&M either, but it just really seems like it's just politics, and uh, and that that's, you know, that's unfortunate. And both those teams won 13 games in the SEC. If we're just going to compare Auburn with A&M, A&M won one series against a regional team. That was against Ole Miss. Uh, Auburn won four series against regional teams because you have to count the Aggies as one. Right. And they won the head to head against the Aggies, and then they won the last three against you know Ole Miss. Uh, Florida and uh, uh, Arkansas. I right. mean, come on, that, that's not even close. You look at those two resumes. I, I'm sorry, that's just nonsense. <laughs> I don't think it's close either. That's really what that, that's what that's why I keep comparing those two teams. But uh, what's done is done uh, as far as that stuff goes, Aaron. I'm not surprised nine SEC teams. I just thought the ninth one would be Auburn and not A&M. And then the fact that A&M's in as a two seed is is a little crazy. Let's start on that. Let's start on that tangent. The seeding, because I, I think we both, you know, you had 61 of the 64 teams in. Some of the teams that got in at the back are debatable. I think it's shocking that Mercer was the last team in. And then not only they're the last team in, Aaron, but they're the, a number three seed. Yeah. There, There's some two seeds here who look like three seeds, some three seeds who look like fours, and then some fours who look like threes. It's, it, I, it's hard to figure out the rhyme or reason of right. of some of these, and I think especially the most egregious one is, one of the best stories of the of the postseason so far, Towson, right. a program that was eliminated, brought back, and then comes back and wins the CAA tournament, their first regional bid since 1991, and that's great. But how on earth is Towson a three seed? Someone explain <laughs> three that seed. one. A three seed. It's a number 89 RPI team, one game over 500. They're a three seed, and then you got Central Arkansas, and they're at number 62 in the RPI. Uh, 39 and 20 overall. A team that has already won a series in Starkville. Yeah. That they're 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 a four seed. How in the hell does that happen? Or Wichita. I mean, Wichita State's not great. <coughs> Excuse me. But they are Wichita State. I mean, clearly yeah. reputation mattered in this tournament field because of Coastal Carolina getting in over Campbell. We'll talk about that later. But 
I just thought that was a really, really strange one. That of all the four seeds, I just thought the one that stuck out the most, of all the three seeds, I should say, the one that stuck out yeah. the most was Towson. I mean, just just make just makes it's inexplicable. And and you know, you wind up with Carolina uh, getting this absurd. I mean, you know, that gives them a real break. The regionals. I, I know, you know, Canisius. I have respect for all those programs. Towson certainly, Florida Atlantic. Uh, but that regional compared to Starkville, where you've got a you know a four seed in Central Arkansas that should have been a three, you've got a three seed in Mercer that should have been a two. I mean they're in the twenties in the RPI. They won the yeah. A Sun the regular season. They should be a two. A and M should be a three if if you're gonna have A and M in. Uh, and then you got you know South Alabama that was in the mix to host a regional right to the end. That's a much more dangerous regional than, than North Carolina got. That is a really – it's actually, I think, a couple of years in a row that Mississippi State has been sent to a very tough regional. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. this one's a home, but last year they were in Tallahassee, which was a really tough regional. Stanford, yeah. Stanford is the three, and, uh, and I'm not saying the Bulldogs deserve better. They were probably the 16th number one, you know? I mean, if they weren't 16th, they were down toward the bottom. Well, I wouldn't say that. I mean, you know, I think for me they were – you know, and I don't know where they were in the committee's eyes. But was for Virginia me, they Tech were, number 16 in your mind? Probably Virginia Tech or, I mean, South Carolina. As, I, as I've mentioned, I thought South Carolina should have been behind Arkansas. So I guess I would right. I would have South Carolina at the bottom of the pecking order. But, um, you know, Mississippi State, I mean, they're they're uh, somewhere in that kind of, I don't know, 13, they're the 12 14 to 16, range. Right, yeah, exactly. yeah. But, uh, well, we, there's so much we could talk about here. We're not going to do it. It's going to be a hard time. We have a hard time reining ourselves in, Aaron. Let's face it. <laughs> let's, just, let's just have a free-flowing discussion here, as, as Bill Simmons' uh, intro it. would say. <laughs> I, I, and I'm with you. Um, let's talk about that Mississippi State. We just talked about it. I, I agree with you. I think it is the toughest um, regional field. And the, the, to me, the, the real surprising part about it is uh, that I thought they wanted to uh, – they're, they're tasked with – the best experience for the student athlete. So not only was Central Arkansas underseated as a four, they should have been a three, but they've already been to Starkville this year. Yeah. I mean, I know there's geography, and I understand there's concerns. And uh, you know, Dennis Farrell talked about that quite a bit on the. Uh, you know, I think it was actually your question about you know how much of a consideration that has to be. But they can't flip them around as a three seed. Maybe just send Bryant down there. I mean, Bryant's yeah. flying wherever they're going. Why don't you make Central Arkansas three, Bryant a Kansas four, State. Bryant can easily be Kansas a four. State. Yeah, I mean Central Arkansas to Kansas State that might be about 400 miles. It's in that it's in that discussion. I mean I, I have to look at it. Obviously I think Starkville is closer to Central Arkansas, but right. um, uh, you know I I would think that would have made more sense to me because I agree with you. I mean it's it's silly the way they did it. I mean I get and so, and so that is part of their they are tasked. That's part of the NCAA guidelines is experience for the student athlete. I know people in the state of South Carolina are going to complain that Clemson got sent to South Carolina. I think the big thing is that both South Carolina and Clemson were very borderline regional hosts. Right. And, uh, again, another place – I know the committee's job is hard, but I thought they kind of talked out of both sides of their mouth on a couple of issues, Aaron. One of them was the Seton Hall, Texas A&M thing we already went over. The other issue was when they said that uh, they don't think you play your way out in conference tournaments, but you could improve your standing in conference right, tournaments. Right, right. <laughs> Excuse me, but uh, how else did Clemson not host a regional except that they played their, their way out with an 0 for showing in the ACC tournament? And not only they go, they go from hosting a regional to being the number two seed at a very tough place to play for them, South Carolina, and that's a pretty tough regional with Liberty as a three, which – I don't know where their RPI was, but they don't seem like a three to me. They're they're in the 60s. I mean, they they're ordinarily I think they would have been a four, but this year because there was we had a hard time 
you know, getting three seeds. I think they were, they were appropriately seeded as a three. And then St. Louis, Aaron, which is a team that you spotlighted at the beginning of the year as a dangerous club, and they're yeah. a dangerous four for South Carolina, are they not? They are. That, that to me, is the other uh, regional that stands out as, as being uh, very compelling. Um, you know, I guess while we're on this this topic, John, I mean, the, the you know the ones that to me look like the the most d- dangerous yeah. for the hosts, um, Starkville, Columbia, and then yeah, I got to look out west. You know, I think uh, Fullerton with, with New Mexico to me, you know, that's a three absolutely. Come on, that's a dangerous three. I mean, they're appropriately seated as a three. I mean, because of the RPI and everything else, they were a bubble team. They should be a three, but that's not a three I want in my regional. You know. Um, Obviously, Arizona State is hard-nosed, you know, as a two-seed. they got some pitching. I mean, I don't, I'm not in love with their team, but they've proven they can beat, you know, anybody. They beat Oregon. They beat UCLA in series. So right. unlike Oregon, they've actually won series against teams in the tournament. <laughs> uh, and that's, and another then, one. that's another one, Aaron. I, I don't mean to hate on – I didn't mean to hate on A&M. I don't mean to hate on Oregon. But since you brought it up, let's go on that tangent. Let's go on that tangent. Oregon is a top-eight national seed. I think we both – I think we've had this discussion on this podcast all year. And look, there really wasn't a perfect number eight resume. NC State, I believe, has the best resume out of, if you're comparing it with Oregon, NC State, well, the the committee chairman said that, okay, they got the first six pretty easy and no argument here or with you, correct? Correct. Absolutely. Those are the right six teams. So seven, eight, nine, ten were basically Florida State, Oregon, NC State, Indiana. They had four to make two. And I think Florida State is definitely one of the next two. I thought NC State had the next best resume, and you articulated it, I think, pretty well in your analysis. Oregon, basically the message is play good teams. Don't necessarily have to beat them, but but I I guess the main thing is don't get swept. Play good teams, and if you go one and two, that's enough. And that really seems to be the message that the committee sends pretty consistently is play good teams in the non-conference and don't get swept and you will be taken care of. Yeah, especially if you take care of business against the lesser teams. And that's one thing, you know. Right. I mean, Florida Florida played a great schedule, but they also um, they struggled in their conference. They lost their last three series. Um, Oregon beat all the teams they were supposed to beat. We'll give them that. I mean, you know, the Pac-12 is a four-bid league, and Oregon beat all the teams that didn't get in in, in series. They didn't lose any of those series, um, which is, you know, that's something to be said for that. Right. But for me, that's a regional, uh, that's a regional it's host a, it's resume. A, it's a regional host resume. It's a very good year, and I think Oregon is an Omaha team. I think I'm gonna. T- I'm looking at the brackets. I think they could beat NC State. I really like their team. They just haven't proven to me that they deserve a national seed. I mean, they just they didn't earn it. They really just didn't earn it. That's the bottom line to me. They did not earn it, and uh, I'm not sure how else. You know, what else really needs to be said there? I I, uh, I think it's fascinating that you, they're a fascinating matchup with NC State, a fascinating no potential matchup there. Aaron, easy regionals, and again, not this is all a de- matter of degrees, but which regional do you think is, 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 I mean, you already mentioned North Carolina, and I have to say, I think Florida Atlantic's a good two seed, not a great, but a good two. They can score. They're, they're you know, and they got a pretty good bullpen. I mean, they're, they're a good club. I thought going into the year um, that they were going to be the team to beat in the Sun Belt, and that's a good league that it has four legit teams, but I think they are, uh, you know, they're a solid number two. But then Kinesis, like you said, and Towson, Kinesis is a four, and that's where they belong. It's yeah. first time in first time in regionals. You know, it might just be kind of a, a, a happy to be here kind of thing for, for Compare, Kinesis. 
compare Canisius as a four to St. Louis as a four, you know, or Central Arkansas or Wichita, yeah. um, you know. No, San Diego State. You're going to see Michael Fedoroff in that first game. Have fun with that, UCLA. I mean, you know, it's you know, I mean, Vanderbilt gets Kerry Doan, a guy who's got 13 wins this year. Um, you know, as the number two national seed, uh, Florida State gets you know Kyle McGowan, who's a stud from Savannah yeah. State in the first game. I, w- I think Canisius is a break for North Carolina. I mean, you know, I, just um, and I'm not and I again I like Canisius. They're fine, but plucky Canadians, man. Come on, plucky Canadians. That's right. They're plucky Canadians. If we're racking, if we're stacking up the four seeds. Uh, there's just some that are stronger than others. I don't disagree, and that's where I, to me again that is. I think it is fair to say that it's an easier regional with their three and four seeds just being meh, basically two fours, you know. Yeah. And again, a team in Canisius that's just making its first. To me, the big thing is Canisius is making its first ever trip to regionals, and that's you know, those teams don't usually do well <laughs> in You're regionals. Right. Um, right. Wh- I guess I also thought Louisville or Louisville got a pretty good break. Uh, obviously, yeah. we wish we wish Miami coach Jim Morris well. Diagnosed with pneumonia, he missed Miami's last game at the ACC tournament. He spent a couple of days in the hospital. Uh, lucky for him, he was here in Durham, the city of medicine, so uh, finest healthcare anywhere. But then, uh, but Miami, not formidable this year. Um, Oklahoma State, what did they finish? 0 and 5 down the stretch of the year. Just not a good finish for yeah. the uh, Oklahoma State Cowboys. But that that team's more of a guts and guile and Jason Hirsch. Yeah. Than right and, great and talent and, 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 and Bowling Green Louisville. is a and going, Bowling Green has a losing record. Right and lucky for Louisville, I mean Jason Hirsch is gonna you know is gonna go in that first game against uh, yeah uh, I would you know he's gonna go against Miami so Louisville's probably not gonna see Jason Hirsch and that is he he's the best thing Oklahoma State's got going. I mean I, I like I agree with you 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 summed them up well they're they're gritty and everything and Miami does have some some good left-handed pitching but um, I I don't think they match up as well with Louisville I, I think Louisville. Waltzes through that regional. I just—it's a shame. I think that Louisville has to has to face Vanderbilt again in a super if it gets to that point. Um, you know, I'm sure the Cardinals are tired of having to go through Nashville. I mean, you know, we've talked about this. I understand yeah. the committee. At least they're consistent. It seems like generally. I mean, um, if they have to use geography as a guideline, well, okay, then they do it. Um, but it's it's unfortunate because I think Louisville is an Omaha caliber team, but nobody's beaten Vanderbilt. Well, that to me, Aaron, that goes back to the. Uh, again, the student athlete experience. You know, yeah. at some point, you got to mix these matchups up. And the and the committee, past committees, have recognized that. Like when they sent Southern out of uh, LSU and sent them to, to Southern right. Miss one year, these kind of things. So, or and I like that they did it this year with a couple of them. Um, Elon to Virginia, UNC Wilmington to Virginia, not the same old same old to to Chapel Hill. Um, you know, that's that's you know that's that's a good thing. So there. It feels like there are times when the committee tries to do it. I yeah. don't think they do it enough. I guess is what I mean, I would say. Because it would have been easy to just put Towson in Charlottesville, absolutely, um, and and send Wilmington or Elon to Chapel Hill like always, uh, and they didn't do that. So I thought that was good. Um, but you're, you're right. I, I'll give them. There are some areas we have to give the committee credit, and we'll get to those later as well. I mean, there are some things I thought they did well. So you thought um, NC State as the eight, not Oregon, correct? Yeah, I mean, I would have gone with. <laughs> You, know, you, you would have gone two, with Indiana, wouldn't you? I would have gone with two of those other three. It was my field. I probably would have gone with Indiana. Uh, I think winning the Big Ten regular season and tournament and having a you know number twelve RPI in a big in the Big tw- uh, Big Ten that's hard to do. Um, I like their their resume, but I mean you know I'm okay. I would have been okay with Florida State and North Carolina State instead of Indiana. Uh, two out of those three teams I would have taken for those last national seeds. Either one of them would be fine. I probably would have had the Wolfpack ahead of. The Seminoles, too, frankly, but that's close, and that's a toss-up. 
That is a toss-up. I, I think that the to me, I think that the uh, overall resume for NC State is a tiny bit better yeah. than uh, Florida State's. I could see Florida State because of the head-to-head. It wasn't Raleigh, and not only did Florida State win two out of three, but they dominated two of those three yeah. games. And they won the division, and you know, right. I think I right. think State lost series to Florida State and Clemson. Right. Um, and Florida State won series, you know, against Clemson as well. So, and when you know, and won the division. So it was, I'm I'm perfectly fine with Florida State even after an 0-4 week. I mean, it was it was a tough 0-4 week. They they lost in the the other teams lasted bat in all four of those games. Um, you know, I'm fine with Florida State, but I just as we talked about Oregon, I do not agree with. Me neither, Aaron. A couple other of, uh, t- on, on this kind of same tip, the 16 regional hosts. I think you've you've articulated this as well. But I think I'm with you. Um, certainly, we, there's a very logical reason that Arkansas was not named a regional host. 291 strength of schedule non-conference out of 296. Which, which That's is brutal. Which, I, I wonder if that can be true because they <laughs> played they played four games. You know, at that tournament in Arizona where they played uh, Arizona State twice. They played Gonzaga. Um, you know, they played three games against four games against San Diego State. You know, a team that that is in the top 100 and won its league. I, how can that figure be right just because I, they played a few teams at the back? It doesn't make sense. Like, did they play New Orleans? They, I mean, they played they played two games against New Orleans. They played three against Western Illinois. Uh, they played two against Alabama A&M, which is number 295. They played two against Mississippi Valley State, 297. So it, that's the problem for me. Uh, the the problem is is that those teams at the back. You play a few games against teams at the back, and it just kills your RPI, and I don't like that. I, I mean, you know, I just think that um, to me, look, if you're playing... Like, if you're, like what they could do to, about that, Aaron, is that you could have, take your top two games and throw them out, and take your bottom two games and throw them out. Something like know? that. I mean, to, to me... The, the, the extremes a little bit. Yeah, the big thing is, look, if you're playing teams outside the top 200, you're, 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 you're probably going to win them all anyway. You know, I mean, I, I'm not... I don't like penalizing a team because it you know it happens to play a team that's really bad versus a team that's just very bad you know i mean like it's we're splitting hairs here you're outside the top 200 anyway i mean you know i don't get that i'd rather i'd rather emphasize the sec schedule more rather than just penalize them because they played four games against alabama a&m and mississippi valley state that's dumb it really feels like it should also emphasize that that should not mitigate the fact that arkansas went to columbia and swept that team swept them. head to swept. head I mean, so in the thing when we talked about Coastal Carolina and Campbell, uh, the uh, the chairman said, "Well, all we could do is about, all we could go by is what happened on the field." Well, what happened on the field between Arkansas and South Carolina is Arkansas swept them on on South Carolina's home field. How does that yeah. not carry more weight? I know, and you know, and and, and there is precedent here for a, a team lower in the RPI. You know, I mean, as, as we've talked about, UCLA, Arkansas was on the wrong end of that one too. UCLA won the Pac-12 with an RPI of 30. Four couple of years ago, and they hosted over over an Arkansas team that was number 14. So there's a precedent there. Uh, now UCLA didn't have those couple of bad games on the schedule. That's what really killed Arkansas. It wasn't their RPI. Uh, it was it was the strength, non-conference strength of schedule. It was those couple. In fact, they played those four games against Alabama A&M and Mississippi Valley State, uh, and those other ones we talked about, Western Illinois, New Orleans. That's what killed it. Is the bottom of their schedule. And so you know at least at least the the committee chairman articulated that point well. And, you know, we can disagree, but that's, you know, he, he, he defended that position okay. Right. I thought so, too. Um, but it almost really does seem like they, you know, even though I know they don't do this, 
they don't seed one to sixteen, which they do in uh, softball, softball, but they don't in baseball. And yeah, you know, he gave reasons for that. I don't know if they're great reasons, but um, you know, because you, you can get super regional matchups anyway if they're upsets. Yeah. Um, but he did say, and and then you can't tell me that there's more parity in softball than there is in baseball. I mean, right. you just can't tell me that. I see. I've I've watched those games on on ESPN, and uh, I think we've all seen the same teams over and over again. But so South Carolina feels like it's the 16. You know, NC State, Oregon, that feels like it's 8-9. Right. Yeah, doesn't it? I mean, I know that yeah, Fullerton, right. Fullerton and UCLA is more of a geography thing than anything else. But Virginia Tech, you know, it's kind of like a 15. Uh, it's almost like a 4-13 or 4-14, 4-15 matchup there with LSU. Those other ones feel like they're seated, uh, you know, from, from afar. Here. And I, I don't know if you thought if you got that feeling at all. I think you're right. I think I would agree with you. You know, Kansas State, Oregon State feels about right. Right. Um, Virginia, know, Virginia, Mississippi, Mississippi State. State. Sure, yeah. Uh, I think I think it's a good point. Even you know, for, even Florida State, Indiana, it's kind of like an eight-nine sort of a matchup for me, or a seven-ten. Yeah, like a seven-ten, exactly. It feels like that's seven-ten. Uh, yeah. I don't feel like <clears throat> I don't feel Louisville should have been a fifteen. But one thing I meant to throw in with you on Louisville is they probably have themselves to blame because if they'd won the Big East regular yeah. season and tournament championship, right. they would have had a real shot at being that number eight national seed. I think they would have been, yeah. I mean, although then again, I mean, they've got a pretty comparable case to Indiana. I mean, both those teams, similar in the RPI, similar wins against top 50, top 100. Uh, you know, if, if they had both, you know, if Louisville had won the Big East regular season and tournament, wouldn't it be in the same boat as Indiana? I mean, I don't know, maybe. And Indiana won two out of three in the head-to-head there, too. Yeah, Indiana would probably have the better case. And, but, but, and the other part, Aaron, is that, you know, the committee said, well, we were really impressed with uh, the Big East this year. How are you going to show it? You leave out two Big East bubble teams in Seton Hall and Notre Dame. I think we and agree Pittsburgh, that Notre Dame and three bubble teams, really, with Pittsburgh. And Pittsburgh was, you know, number 61. I mean, they weren't they – were, that's five spots, uh, four spots behind UC Santa Barbara, which got in. So it's not a huge difference there. I mean, I, I, I do think that, you know, I would take the Gauchos. But, um, you know, Pitt, Pitt was in the mix. I mean, they weren't far off. And not only were they not far off, but, I mean, it's harder to build – a yes. good RPI at Pittsburgh than it is at UC Santa Barbara. I mean, right. even even where it's, even though it's harder in the in the West Coast in some ways, but Pittsburgh 15 and 8 on the road. Um, and I know they have this 202 strength of, uh, strength of schedule. Right. Um, you know, that's because they're in Pittsburgh. It's hard right. to play good teams in Pittsburgh and not yeah. spend a ton of money. You know, I mean right. that's right. So and I, they I, did they ahead. did open up with you know going to Wichita State. It's a Good series to schedule. Um, and they, they went down and, and they swept it. Yeah, I mean they, you know, they did the they did the best they could here. I mean, but like you said, it's just you know, it's it's harder. It's harder for those teams in the north, and uh, that's why I was disappointed that Seton Hall didn't get in. Thought they deserved it. I mean, I thought at least the Big East should be at least a three bid league. I had it projected last night as a four bid league, right. um, but I I would have been okay with three. Um, you know, I think you could have made a case for three or four, but not two. Aaron. Uh... One other thing, uh, again, we're talking about uh, you know, kind of bubble bubble teams. Early in the in the day, you were getting a, a a hint that Mercer had been left out and Michigan State had been put in when you were trying to kind of uh, talk to you know sources off the record and see what the regional field was going to be like, who was going where. You had the real sense that Mercer was out and Michigan State was in, and it sounds like that was the last thing they did was flip those two teams. I think your intel was good. Because otherwise, there's not a lot of similarities between Mercer and Michigan State. I can't You're imagine right. those were the last two teams on the board. That's why I asked that question. 
in the conference call today because how would you possibly get to those of the, as the last two teams where Michigan State's RPI is 42, Mercer's 29? That felt really, really fishy. How could that possibly have been? That, But Commissioner Farrell said that Mercer last team in and uh, Michigan State last team out. How could that possibly have happened? Weird. I just think that's – it's very strange. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they must have just somehow wound it, wound up with, you know, they put the field together. I, I'm speculating. They put the field together, and, and, you know, they had Michigan State in, and they had Mercer out, and then they slept on it. And, and somebody said, hey, wait a minute. That's crazy. You know, I mean, Michigan State finished seventh in their league, and, you know, Mercer won their league and is better in the RPI. I mean, And the rest of the factors really aren't that different. I mean, Mercer, yeah, only went 2-1 and one against the top 50. Um, Michigan State went 7-6. and six. But – Otherwise, everything else is pretty much the same. You know, Mercer has to play a decent amount on the road for a Southern team. They went 16-8 and eight on the road. Yeah. I mean, there's really nothing else that I can see where you'd say, uh, hey, they don't deserve to be in there. You know? I mean, 10-6 uh, and six for Mercer against top 100 teams, 11-7 and seven for Michigan State. There's just no advantage for Michigan State. That seems like that must have been a, well, we're screwing the Big East. So let's cover ourselves by taking another northern team. How weird would it be to have the Big Ten have its conference regular season and tournament champion, and then two teams get in at large, a fifth-place team and the seventh-place team? That just – Yeah. That's I can't the weird – I can't see the consistency in how they treat the Big East and the Big Ten. I, there's no consistent thing that I can tell, Aaron, of how they yeah. decide which northern teams to let in. Can you see a pattern? No, it's weird. It is. It's. I mean, you know, think about it. A couple of years ago, you had St. John's getting in over LSU when it didn't really deserve to, I, in my opinion, right. at that time. Um, you know, I mean, in last year, Michigan State got in when it didn't really deserve to. Almost got in this year when, you know, you could make a borderline case. I like its case better this year than I did last year when they actually got in. <laughs> um, you know, but because at least this year they've got some quality series wins. They, you know, they did well in their conference against the good teams. They just. You know, it's kind of the anti-Oregon. They beat the good teams. They didn't beat right. the bad teams as, as much as they needed to. Um, so, anyway, the thing about the Big Ten, I mean, it's it's actually had a great year. It was the number six RPI conference. I think that, I can't imagine it's been higher than that in a long time. How could uh, it possibly be? I, mean, I thought this yeah. was a very strong year for the Big Ten. It was. And, you know, Nebraska is a legit regional caliber team. Those guys are damn good, John. I mean, I saw I them it. a bunch last week, and – you know their pitching isn't great. It's it's you know it's a Big Ten pitching staff, but um, they compete and they're they're extremely good on defense. I mean they're uh, probably I would say out of all the teams I've seen this year, I think LSU is the best defensive team I've I've seen, and and I would say Nebraska is the, the number two defensive team that I've seen. I mean they're that good, uh, and they score runs, and you know they 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 would have been in regionals if they won one more game, but they finished 29 and 30. They can't get in, and so that hurts the Big Ten. When your number two RPI team is ineligible for a bid, right. uh, and then you know Ohio State finished tied with Nebraska for second place and just didn't quite get it done. You know the the problem with Ohio State they got they got hurt because they scheduled all those games at home against really good teams at the end of the season, and right. a home loss is worth more. You know it hurts you more this year because it's worth 1.3 losses um, versus a road loss only worth 0.7 because of this new weighted RPI formula. So. They picked the wrong year to have Georgia Tech and Oregon and Louisville, uh, you know, come in at the end of the season. What is what was your take kind of on the uh, the weighted RPI this year? How do you think that this new formula played out? It didn't seem like it helped the Northern teams as much as it, maybe I think we thought it would. 
You know, I, I actually I need to study it more at the end of the season and break it down. But my my impression, just you know, winging it here, and I reserve the right to correct this later if it turns out that I'm completely <laughs> you know wrong. Uh, but my impression is that it did help on, on the periphery. I mean, and, and I would I'd like to get a comparison for how these teams' RPIs stack up with how they would have under the old formula. But I, I feel like the Big Ten and the Big East teams had better RPIs than they would have had. Um, you know, those those fringe regional teams, it should have helped those teams get in. I mean, the Seton Halls and maybe Notre Dame and, you know, Michigan State. I mean, those teams were were probably inside the top 50 where they wouldn't have been last year. Um, and so that's what it was intended to do. It was supposed to help those teams that are on the road at the beginning of the year, you know, level the playing field just a little bit. It's not going to change things at the top. North Carolina and, you know, Virginia and, you know, Vanderbilt and LSU, you win a ton of games against good schedules. You're still going to be at the top. That doesn't, right. you know, that doesn't change. But um, I think it accomplished what it was supposed to accomplish. I think it gave those northern teams a little bit more of a chance. Um, so it's just odd, I guess, that uh, the committee then chose to kind of, you know, weight the RPI in certain places and ignore it in others. It's well, just, they, the way their phrase was, we, we try to go inside the RPI and see how those RPIs were assembled. And to me, the answer should be, if the RPI was completely assembled just by being a member of a conference, that should not be good enough, you right. know? I completely agree. That's why, you know, and, and the committee is always treated that way. If you're Maryland and you go 9-18 and 18 in the SEC and you have a RPI in the 30s, you're not going to get in. Uh, I think I said SEC. I meant ACC, obviously. Right, right. Um, you know, and, and same thing if you're Texas A&M and you're, you know, 13 and 17 in your league and you have a great RPI just because you're in the SEC – but your resume isn't a regional caliber resume, you shouldn't be in. I mean, you know, you, there's a different set of standards for power conference teams versus mid-major teams, and there should be because the RPI favors those other teams. And so if you have a good RPI in a mid-major, especially in the north, you should get uh, more of an edge. No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> we're, we're, obviously, we've, we've talked to each other about this in the past because we're green. So it's the Baseball America College Podcast with John and Aaron. Um, I guess the other philosophical part in this, we touched on it earlier, Aaron, but the Campbell conundrum. Now that you've spoken to uh, head coach, what, Coach Groff, correct? Coach G- Greg, Greg Goff. Greg Goff. I merged his first and, and last name into, <laughs> into one name. Uh, but Coach Greg Goff, you've spoken to him. Uh, I talked to the media who was there. They're here in North Carolina. I didn't see Campbell this year. Um, but that team went 49-10. and 10. Uh, Mike Lemaire, we know, is very upset because Mike has uh, written about Ben McCown, the leadoff hitter. McEwen, I believe. McEwen, okay. Well, McEwen. I know he's talked to Mitch McEwen, and uh, Mike, our former intern, will be very upset about uh, about Campbell not getting in. But uh, philosophically, Aaron, how do you feel about a team like Campbell? Should a team like Campbell that goes 49-10 and 10 against a crap schedule – let's face it, it was a crap schedule – should that team get in, or should you reward – or should we do the Oregon approach – I'm not slamming Oregon. Obviously, Oregon deserved to get in, but where you play really good teams, you take care of but, but or I guess a Florida approach where basically right. you're in a power conference and you do just enough. Uh, I, I, see, I've always been a fan of the – if you're in a power conference, I want I want someone to do something and not just be in, part of something. Yes, exactly. That's always, that's that's always my argument. Do you agree with and my that, argument? Yeah, and, and that's why at least when you look at Florida, you could say, okay, they won series against Miami and – you know, what, Ole Miss and somebody else, um, you know, they won three quality series. So they have that going for them. They, you know, right. uh, they did some things. They, uh, the thing about Campbell and, and, you know, for me, 
I think Oregon and Campbell both should have been in. I'm sorry, uh, Florida and Campbell both should have been in. Um, right. You know, I, I I just think that it's hard to you know when you've got a, a schedule that's in, strength of schedule that's in the 200s, it's hard to, to have an RPI around 40 like they did. You know, you got to dominate. Um, and you know, hey, the fact that they've got basically as many top 100 wins as Texas A&M, which yep. plays in the SEC, has a whole heck of a lot more chances to get one top 100 wins. That to me, you know, I, I know they're, they they only had one top 50 game, uh, but they scheduled the best that they could. I mean, you know, we, you have to acknowledge that there's there's scheduling disadvantages there, just like there were for Utah Valley last year. And right. Utah Valley was a similar case. They dominated the hell out of their league, but Campbell um, had a better RPI. They actually had an at-large caliber RPI. Utah Valley couldn't get in last year because its RPI just basically disqualified it. It wasn't right. good enough. It's a great, but, it's a great comp, though. Yeah, and and. You know, I think we all would have liked to have seen Utah Valley in last year if they could have been a little bit higher. Um, I would have liked to have seen Campbell, and I thought they deserved it. I mean, you dominate your conference. And then, you know, hey, Coach Goff's biggest beef was when he found out, when I told him, that, uh, you know, Dennis Farrell said that one of the reasons they went with Coastal over Campbell is because of the uh, regional right. advisory committee. Said they, they lined him up and said, oh, well, Coastal's better. I mean – He's right. That's not that's not really fair. I mean, you know, when you look at one team won the league and, you know, has, has all these players in the, the all-conference team and leads the league in offense and defense and pitching all these things, um, went farther in the conference tournament, uh, yes, Coastal played a better schedule. They had more quality wins. Um, they're still behind Campbell in the RPI. Right. And, you know, I mean, I, I, again, I, I had that as a three-bid league. I, I would have put Coastal in as well. But I think that uh, – Coach Goff's, um, <laughs> he, he's justified in his indignation. I thought so, too. I thought, uh, so really, Coastal Carolina versus, that's the better matchup, was Coastal Carolina versus Campbell. Yeah. And it really does seem like, when that's what they're talking about, uh, those two teams, it really does seem like reputation is what would carry the day on uh, a, a committee like that. That's why the baseball committee is not all coaches. Right? Isn't that what they say? The 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 base the Division One baseball committee, yeah, it's, it's basically all administrators. Right. Um, you know, which in the past they've had coaches on it. I don't think they have any this year. Right. It usually um, it seems like in the past have been like one or two. Yeah, you've had John Anderson, you've had Pat Murphy. Right. Exactly. Um, Mark Marquess, but uh, uh, I, I believe. But um, anyway, you know, I I I don't know. I, that's a tough case. I mean, I do like teams that play good schedules, and, and I think they played as good a schedule as they, they, they could have. They tried to, you know, they tried to schedule. <laughs> I think the, the bottom line is, I think the bottom line is like a team to me like Utah Valley deserves more of a, um, more of the benefit of the doubt than a Campbell because it's so much harder yeah. to schedule well in Utah. It's so isolated, right? And, and the problem for Campbell, I think the real problem is if, if you're in that room, I, like I think Campbell deserved to get in. Um, I don't know if I would say they deserve to get in at the expense of Coastal. I think they deserve to get in, uh, again, I'd say, like you, the reasons you pointed out um, compared to A&M. Um, but the real issue is that they are in the Carolinas, and most teams in the Carolinas, I think the perception has been that most teams in the Carolinas have RPIs that are inflated, mm. not not uh, and, and somewhat artificial, because most teams in the Carolinas, can, it's, it's not hard to find, hey, look, doing draft coverage in the Carolinas, which I didn't do the last two years, but doing draft coverage in the Carolinas is so hard because there's so many little colleges. And right. they're like, what are there, like 
12, 14 Division One schools just in the state of North Carolina. Yeah. So I'm looking at I'm looking at I've got on my wall I've got this Division One baseball map. Yep. And that's one of the areas that's the densest with names. And that's it. So yes, they played East Carolina twice, and they played NC State, and they played App State. But they also played A and T. They also played Central. You know, the HBCUs yeah, yeah. are a very common theme of these teams with bad RPIs. And you talked about with Arkansas, they played Mississippi Valley State. They played uh, yeah. who else did you say they played with one other HBCU? But right. you know, we were stunned. Like with Arizona, Arizona played Coppin. You know, like wow, they played Coppin State. That's going to kill their RPI. You know, that's a common theme. Playing these HBCUs as an RPI killer kind of makes you wonder if maybe the committee should be more careful about that. Like, do they want teams to not schedule these HBCUs because they punish teams that play them? You're right. Period. They just punish point. them. And is that a, a precedent you really want to set? Is that really good for – is that good for baseball? Because if you're, if you're Dave Van Horn after this year, you just cost yourself some money because you yeah. cost your university a chance to host because you scheduled those series. Why would you ever schedule them again? Great point, John. I'd never schedule them. So all they're doing is reinforcing don't play these HBCUs. Don't play them. They are RPI suicide. Campbell, don't play Central and A&T anymore. Arkansas, don't play Mississippi Valley anymore. And that's, that's just a terrible message. It's an unintended consequence of the message they're trying to send. The message they're trying to send is schedule as well as you can. And I get that. But you just you run into these unintended consequences, so just obviously it's, it doesn't set well with me. I don't think that's what they're fantastic. trying to do. It's a fantastic point, though. It really, I mean, I, I had the same thought, you know, as you started to articulate that point. Is you're right. I mean, that that's that's the bottom line. It's it's a it's a very it's something to watch. They're telling coaches don't schedule HBCUs. So, <laughs> to, yeah. Aaron, you touched on this earlier. I wanted to touch on it. Uh, dangerous four seeds. Um, well, obviously, we'll break down all the regionals uh, earlier, but I think you actually hit on on the, the two that I re- was most interested in was uh, East Tennessee State with Kerry Doan and just the offensive nature of the Bucks uh, as a team, yeah. uh, traditionally under Coach Tony Skoll. I think Tony does a really nice job at East Tennessee State. Yeah. Uh, they've got Zan Barksdale there as a recruiting coordinator. He used to be at uh, Louisville. Plus, his name right. is Zan Barksdale. It's just fun to say. Great name. It's a great name. And then Savannah State. Kyle McGowan, I mean, Florida State, I mean, I think Florida State can hit anybody, you know, but uh, what a tough week for Florida State. We, this actually might give us a chance, because you already touched on those. Maybe we should look back a little bit at this week in the conference tournaments as we're looking ahead to the NCAA tournament. But, mm. but what a rough week for Florida State. Four losses in four games, all in their opponent's final at bat. Uh, uh, it didn't cost Florida State a number one overall, I mean, a, a top eight national seed. But uh, maybe does that help give them a little bit tougher uh, setup? This is something they got a very tough setup with Alabama and Troy. Those are properly seeded teams, and Alabama for me one of the weaker number two seeds. Yeah, I agree. But uh, but, but but Savannah State's dangerous as a four. Excuse You're me. right. That's a that's a dangerous first game against McGowan. Um, but yeah, I mean I, I think I would have hell I would have probably had. Uh, Troy is a two over Alabama, so I mean, you know, whatever. Those two teams are close. Uh, right. Those are those are borderline two slash three teams. Um, I think their 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 field is is 
uh, with the exception of that that tough first game, you know, that, that's a perfectly reasonable field. I think okay. Vander, Vanderbilt getting Kerry Doan to me, um, you know, you and you, John, you remember last night when I sent you my my field of 64. I had kind of some reservations about, you know, yeah. should East Tennessee State have to go play Vanderbilt? Um, you know, that's not really fair to, as a reward to Vanderbilt for the season that they've had. And so we, you, know, you brought it up and. We moved them. We 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 said, okay, well, we sent them to Blacksburg, right? I, th- I think that's what we did. Yeah. We did. Uh, and then, and then you know, be, because I don't know. I mean, Doan is good, man. That guy can run up in the low nineties, and he's got a good slider, and you know, he's a workhorse. He goes deep into the game every time out. He's yep. got what twelve complete games, something like that. I mean, that guy's an animal. So that's that's Here's a tough thing draw. to me, Aaron. Is and I, I don't know how much you could do this if you're the committee, but Nashville. I wonder if this is a consideration. This would be more of like an off-the-record conversation with a committee member than it would be something to ask in front of everyone else on, on this day. But does it factor into the committee's deliberations that Vanderbilt and Nashville were southwest flies? And if you're going to fly teams, you can fly anybody to Nashville. Like, should that work for – is that a positive or a negative for Vanderbilt that, to me – Vanderbilt as a landing spot should be here's one place where we don't have to bus. This is a city that has an air, a big it's a big city has an NFL team. They have a big airport. Southwest flies there. You can fly anyone to Vanderbilt for a pretty reasonable cost. Whereas Blacksburg, that's a bus trip. You want Blacksburg to be as much of a bus trip as possible. Same thing with Charlottesville because they're not really close right. to metro areas. If you're going to fly anywhere, you're flying into DC probably or or right. Richmond. Uh, I suppose you could fly to Richmond, and then you're busing from there. Um, you know, UCLA, to me, that's the that's the thing with the West Coast teams always playing each other that gets me, is that you can fly anyone to Los Angeles for a reasonable amount. Right. I mean, how many airports are in the L.A. area? Santa Ana, Ontario, there's so many places, so many options, competition. If you're going to fly people, fly them to the bigger cities where it's cheaper to fly. And instead, hmm. they make these West Coast teams all congregate there, and a team like Nash and a team like Vanderbilt, those are all bus trips. And we actually had a Twitter question that made me think about this because Georgia Tech is going up there, um, which I thought was kind of interesting. I thought Georgia Tech deserved to be a two seed. I thought they were kind of a week two. I know they had, uh, their strength of schedule says otherwise, but Georgia Tech didn't exactly finish the season on any kind of a, a high note. Their 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 resume, I think, is is kind of a second half of the number twos, but their talent is. Is up there with anybody in the twos. I mean, they you know, right. they hot at the right time. Boy, that's not that's not a not a team I'd welcome to see in, in my regional as a two seed. I mean, they, theoretically they should have the best one of the best offenses in college baseball. Theoretically they should. Well, the question we had is Chaz Placent asked, "What do we think about Georgia Tech's draw for regionals? Should they shouldn't the second worst number two get Vandy? Is Tech the second worst number twenty one RPI number two SOS? Uh, I don't think they had the number two strength of schedule on the information I was checking, but. I thought that was a good send for them, I, but it just made me think it's another team. That, like when Georgia Tech hosts, fly, fly everyone to Atlanta. It's the world's busiest airport. Everybody flies there. So. Right. So I wanted to share, first off, what you thought of my point about the airports, and second of all, we'll just start taking Twitter questions, and uh, you can answer that question about Georgia Tech being a two. Uh, the airport point, I mean, it's interesting to think about. I mean, if if this is all about, you know, cost, if this is really all about cost and, and putting together the, the cheapest tournament you can that, that – Still, it still meets your minimum requirements. Um, then you're right. I mean, maybe it makes sense to just think outside the box. Um, yeah. But you know, I also understand. I mean, if you've got that's the thing about Southern California. You know, if you've got two teams in San Diego and one in San Luis Obispo, 
uh, that you can send all to UCLA as bus trips. I mean, hey, you know, if it's compacted, that, that's that's still going to be cheaper. Right. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'd have to have to look at it more closely. I'm sure. I imagine the committee probably, or the the, the championships cabinet, they're probably, you know, they have an idea about this stuff. That's an interesting food for thought. Um, Georgia Tech, uh, number four strength of schedule from what I see, by the way. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, remember that that geography is 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 the determining factor here. I mean, just because you're the number two national seed doesn't mean you get the number fifteen, number two seed. That's not how it works. Um, you know, maybe you can argue that maybe it should work like that. It'd be great if it worked like that. I think it'd be yep. cool to have have more. You know, have the regionals determined by competitive balance only. Um, but you know, that's not how the tournament is set up. I mean. We've talked about this before, too. There's some value in um, regional rivalries, having to beat yep. the teams in your area to get to Omaha, where it's, then you've got a melting pot of everybody around the country. And, you know, when you've got teams that are closer to each other, you're going to have a better opportunity for fans to travel. And that's better for the teams to have their families and their friends nearby, and it's better for the fans. Um, so there's value in, in, in keeping teams local. I'm with um, you. So I don't know. I mean, I go back and forth on that point. I but. like the fact that you pointed out the positives. It's not just yeah. to make it cheap. You pointed out some great positives. And one of the things that hockey fans lament, and I'm not a hockey fan, but a lot of hockey fans lament how they used to have the divisional playoffs, the Patrick division, all those rivalries made people more and more interested. And I think that's awesome. I, I think that's a great point because there are negatives to it, but there are positives to it as well. Yeah, you want to mix up the student-athlete's experience. I know we talked about that earlier. And there are negatives to it, but I do think it's important to, to point out that there are positive things from those geographic rivalries. That, that, that's a great point, Fitzy. A um, couple other Twitter questions. Uh, Will Pruitt, who is the commissioner, according to his Twitter, he's the commissioner of the Great American Conference, hmm. which could be anywhere, but it's a Division II league. Um, but really, the Great American Conference, where, where the hell is that? Somewhere in the Great America. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess that, uh, what's her name, uh, Sarah, Sailor Palin would tell me where that is. It's not on the coast. Uh, anyway, Sarah Poland, Palin, joke of the day. Southern mid-majors undervalued. Uh, I'll start over. Will Pruitt's question is, Southern mid-majors undervalued? Campbell, Mercer, UC, Central Arkansas. While Northeast counterparts overseeded? Towson, Bryant. SBU effect? Stony Brook effect? That's interesting. Um, I don't think Bryant was overseeded right. necessarily, Aaron, because they, they played a really good non-conference schedule. Yeah, and um, then they – Finished 46 in the RPI. They're they're seated appropriately as a three. Yeah. Uh, Towson and Towson is overseated no inexplicably. I mean, it we've is, talked it about is that. completely inexplicable. <laughs> There's absolutely no way to explicate that or explain uh, it. And and I thought about asking that question in the teleconference. Uh, but, you know, there's so many other more pressing things that we had to get addressed than just a seating qualm. But, I mean, that didn't, it just it was just – It's just bizarre. I would have loved to have heard why, you know, they, they arrived at that decision. It is bizarre. Um but I don't think there was a Stony Brook effect necessarily. I no. think that I think that Campbell's a unique uh, a unique one. I happen to think that Mercer got penalized for the Atlantic Sun being seen as not a great conference. What's the conference RPI for the Atlantic Sun, Aaron? Uh, the conference RPI for the Atlantic Sun is like a seventeen. Uh, wow, yeah, it is that low. It's seventeen. I, I, I would have thought would, it was higher than that because uh, I mean I, I felt like right. it was a decent year for that league with Gulf Coast and North Florida being very competitive. I think that's a top-heavy league that gets punished because of the bad teams at the bottom of the Atlantic Sun. And they had a truly awful team in Northern Kentucky this year, which is making the transition from D2 to D1. So it's understandable that Northern Kentucky was really bad this year. I'm not not saying Northern Kentucky is a bad program. It was a good program at Division II. I like the Norse. I'm actually a Norseman. I enjoy the Norse. But uh, the fact that you had 
Jacksonville that was 17 and 38 and Northern Kentucky at 8 and 47. I think it really dragged that team, that league's RPI down. So that's why I thought they were a three. Mm. I think that they, on their own merits, they were a two. I have a feeling that they really banged on Mercer for their conference RPI being so low. And the and, fact that they they managed to be number 29 in the RPI despite that, yeah, to me, that that shows me they should be a two. Yeah, you're right. Actually, you're right. And then UCA, we've already said, should have been a three, uh, is a four. Maybe there's something to that. Maybe Will has a point there. I think that it was more to this point where they felt, reading between the lines, they felt that some of these teams were over overranked by the RPI because of the new formula. It almost sounds like they didn't really believe in the new formula. It, it does kind of feel like that, but it's weird that they would, you know, they would penalize a team like Central Arkansas that won series against Southern Miss and Mississippi State. I mean, that team is, you know, that's that's some uh, some ceiling on your resume there. You know, they've right. proven that they can actually beat good teams. Oregon hasn't beaten the regional team. You know, no, I mean, I know, uh, you know, I they're know. national seed. They're national seed without winning a series against a regional team. But but Central Arkansas, you know, somehow winds up as a four. I mean, uh, go figure. Go figure indeed. Um, Mike Emmy had several questions for us. MWE and NC is his Twitter. Uh, Florida strength of schedule was almost entirely a function of conferencing them to Vanderbilt, LSU, Mississippi State. Don't you have to win those? I think we agree, yes. <laughs> you should yeah, have to I, win. Sure. I mean, their strength of schedule, too, you know, the, the fact that they played Indiana and they played, you know, Florida Gulf Coast was actually good this year. I mean, here's, a the, better, here's the better part of his question that I, I, if I'd been a smarter person, I would have read this and then asked you the question. Smarter point of Mike's tweet is uh, Florida did not play a non-conference road game outside the state. Um, so to say they challenged themselves in non-conference, in his opinion, is a joke. Hmm. Um, I think that's a fair point. Their non-conference series that were out of state were their only series that were out of state. We're at Vanderbilt, at Mississippi State, at Missouri, at LSU, at Georgia, all conference. In the yeah. conference, of course, they stayed home and you know, lost all four at home. Of those series, lost all four of those series were at home. Yeah, Duke, Florida Gulf Coast, Miami, Indiana. And they lost uh, two of those series. They got swept they by Florida Gulf Coast. They lost two out of three to Indiana. So, mm. Give me Seton Hall, John, that's eight, got 18 wins on the road. I'm, um, I'm so with you on that. So with you on that. You know, I'm I – mean, I've been the uh, I've been uh, driving the pirate I've been piloting the pirate ship all spring it feels like Arr. I switched pirates from East Carolina to Seton Hall <laughs> nice that's 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 pretty pretty good <laughs> thanks uh, committee didn't do any Vander, Vanderbilt any favors of the number two C with Mike's other point I think we agree Georgia yeah. Tech Illinois East Tennessee that's a pretty solid uh, solid yeah and then Joseph Healy at Joe on Sports asks should we expect more of a chalk tournament since there are so many soft two and three seeds. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's because of that, Aaron. I think we should expect a chalk tournament because the top six teams really did separate themselves throughout yeah. the year, and I think there's a pretty yawning gap between those top six teams and uh, the rest of the, the rest of the country. And I think there's a there's a gap between the top, you know, 18 or so teams yep. in the rest of the country. Yep. To me, that's that's a huge. You know, I was looking at the my bracket, John, and and you know, not the, I guess I shouldn't give anything away, but uh, I had no problem. Usually, I have to agonize over a bunch of these regionals. I went right down with bam, 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 one seed, one seed, one seed, one seed, one seed for a lot of these. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of one seeds winning regionals, much more than usual, maybe more than ever before. Well, I guess it was 1999 when they had the top, the first time they seeded the top eight national seeds and all eight went to Omaha, right? And it hasn't happened since then? I think that's correct. So, I know it hasn't happened since then. I, I think it's correct that all eight went back. It was either the top eight that year or seven of the top eight. Something like that. I believe it actually, off the top of my head, I think it was seven of the top eight. I'll never forget Dick Rockwell, seeing Dick Rockwell the first day of the College World Series that year, actually the day before the workouts, 
and he shaking his hand. He said, "We did a pretty doggone good job, didn't we?" You know, huh, he, awesome. he was feeling it. I love Dick Rockwell, my, one of my all-time favorites, former Lemoyne coach and AD. And uh, yeah, they did a pretty good job that that year. Uh, I know Pat Murphy and Danny Hall didn't think so because Arizona State and Georgia Tech were left out. But uh, this committee feels like it's run a little bit differently, Aaron. And you know, I, I understand how the committee's going to change. The committee's philosophy is going to change sometimes when the membership changes. But it just seems—I don't think they did a terrible job this year. But it just seems like the the criticism I think of the committee, like you said earlier, would be it's just very hard to tell what their guiding philosophy was this year. That's it. That's it. I mean, they—they—they uh, they, they did harp on non-conference strength of schedule repeatedly. So it's one—it's like like a couple of years ago. It was, the same deal. It was like, well, this is going to be their, their their drum they're going to bang on this year. But then they um, went back and forth a little bit with conference finish mattering for a couple yeah. of years. Yeah, that's true. They did last year in particular. You know, they really rewarded those those mid major teams like like uh, uh, Indiana State, you know, right. and, and Sam Houston State. And, and and I will say this. I mean, this, I meant to mention this earlier. One of the things I really like about this field, I was glad that Sam Houston got in yep. in Mexico. Yeah. Um, you know, um, UC Santa San Barbara. Yeah, we, we talked San, about the San Francisco. West, some West teams getting in. Was a, yeah. We mentioned that on the on the hangout. That's a good thing, I think. And those are teams with borderline RPIs. All four of those teams are kind of in the high 40s, low 50s. Um, you know, Sam Houston's 47. You know, New Mexico 51, San Francisco 50, and then Santa Barbara 57. So I mean, these are teams that are that have fringy RPIs, and in, in some years past might have got, gotten left out, but. I thought they all deserved it, um, and then I was glad to see them in. And you know, Santa Barbara was the one team that I left out on my projection last night, and I had them in and had them in, and they were the last team that I cut last night because I just didn't think – I figured, well, 57 in the RPI. Historically, we use RPI as a guideline. Um, that's not going to be good enough, and the committee pleasantly surprised me on that one. Yeah, I tell you what, I, 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 think, uh, I think there's one thing we all can agree on, Aaron, is that there's nothing fringy about your coverage of college baseball, <laughs> nothing fringy about your passion for it, uh, love doing the podcast with you. Going to get verklempt. We've only the season's uh, coming down to the end, but uh, uh, very much looking forward to the postseason. Uh, just great job this weekend. Uh, really, uh, just uh, just fun, very fun to to follow. And you make it more fun for those of us who love college baseball. So thanks for all you do. I uh, want to thank everybody for listening. For all the passionate followers we have at college baseball at baseballamerica.com. Our web traffic has been. Uh, off the hook, off the chain, whatever the kids are saying, whatever it's off of now, uh, it's off. It's it's very good. Our, our traffic has been outstanding recently, and uh, even with the Google Plus Hangouts, which is kind of interesting, people are watching that, <laughs> watching me and you talk to each other, which is always fun. So, got to get the um, dog to shut up next time. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that didn't make it on the final edit somehow. Oh, so right. the Google Plus people must have known. So, um, if there are people at Google Plus, but uh, I think it's just all robots. But it's been a, but it's been a fun college baseball season, and we've got a lot to go. Obviously, now which regional will you be at in person? Or are you going to bounce between Fullerton yeah. and, and uh, UCLA? I will be bouncing. It's, it's going to be neat. I'm, I'm intrigued by both those fields. Are really compelling. Um, you know, I think you, know, you got Chris Bryant. Um, you know, I'm oh, glad yeah. he's going to get to get to be in regionals. Uh, great game with Cal Poly in that opener. Um, Cal Poly you know, looking then, for its first ever regional victory. They're 0 and 2 yeah. in their previous regional. There you go. It's good to see them in the field, certainly. It is. Uh, and, you know, not, not that they were a bubble team; they were an easy team. But it's good to see them in. Um, you know, San Diego State. I think it, Cedar Roth and, and potentially Plutko. That could be that could be a good day for Friday. But I'm also very intrigued by. Uh, you know Arizona State, New Mexico, um, in that first that first game, and you know Fullerton, Columbia. Uh, that to me is probably the hardest one to pick. I think is the Fullerton Regional. I think 
I think you, you got, love the Lobos. I do love the Lobos, and uh, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going to come down on that one because I really like that Fullerton team. And, and I'll tell you who's going to be bouncing back and forth between that are going to be cross checkers and scouting directors to go see Chris Bryant and DJ Peterson because they're oh, the yeah. two best hitters in the country playing What's in that? regionals this weekend in Southern California. Southern California baseball fans buy some college baseball tickets this weekend. Come yes. on, yes, get please. out there, pack those ballparks. Fullerton uh, has had some pretty good crowds this year. I got to give them credit. Um, you know, because the, the, I, I was at that Irvine series what two weeks ago, uh, and and it was you know it was good. It was that's awesome. The crowd was very loud, uh, lively. So, Come on, UCLA. Uh, the Lakers aren't in the finals. You got no excuses yeah. this year. Yeah, um, I don't expect a lot out of the UCLA crowd, but maybe I'll be pleasantly <laughs> surprised. I just you know. Yeah, whatever. you shouldn't. <laughs> and then obviously, Aaron, you know, we would have said the same, said the same thing ten years ago about North Carolina and NC State crowds, but uh, yeah. privileged to be at an unbelievable college baseball atmosphere. Um, between North Carolina and NC State in the ACC tournament this weekend on Saturday night. Obviously an epic game. Uh, uh, no firsthand of someone. I talked to somebody. I, I forgot to use this in my story. Who paid $60 a ticket to a scalper to get into the North Carolina NC State game. That's unreal. That is unreal. Uh, second largest crowd in the history of that ballpark. Um, no promotions. No dizzy bat. No giveaway. Um, it was just pure hatred of each other, North Carolina and NC State, and then uh, and Carlos Rodon. And then I think the ACC deserves a little bit of credit also that on Sunday's game, I know the SEC, some of the SEC fans will make fun of this, but who cares? Um, you know, North Carolina, they, those fans get out of there. An 18-inning game, uh, that, that game ended at like 1.50, 1 yeah. a.m., and then North Carolina and Virginia Tech fans the next day almost filled that ballpark, 8,900, 8,700 fans. Yeah. At uh, the Durham Bulls Athletic Park, so um, it was a great atmosphere. I've, I used to go to ACC tournaments 15 years ago at the DBAP that people just didn't go to. Like when Wake Forest was winning it, you know, sorry Ryan Johnson and the Wake Forest Mafia, but nobody cared. There were <laughs> there were no alumni of Wake Forest to go to those games. So when Wake Forest was winning three out of four ACC tournaments, attendance was terrible. So, I remember that. I remember that too. Yeah. So during, for, for, during my college career, I mean, it was. It was. You're right. People just weren't interested. Nobody was interested. So now there's interest. I think North Carolina and Mike Fox deserve a ton of that credit. I think Elliot Ava and NC State deserve credit. And let's face it, the top two attendance games in all time in ACC baseball history, or ACC tournament history, involve Carlos Rodon. And that guy mm-hmm. is must see mm-hmm. TV. He's must see in person when he's on. How about he was shoving it on Saturday. How about this, John? If North Carolina and NC State can both get to Omaha, <laughs> I know. So wouldn't you know they would face each other face each other in that first game? That would be insane. I don't know what uh, <laughs> I don't know how I would. Oh, you would be I, you'd be there with Jim Schoenert. I don't know how you guys yeah. would react to seeing Carolina and State uh, playing each other in Omaha. Just like you know, it would be I think a lot like Clemson and South Carolina when they yeah. played in Omaha, and those are pretty epic. Those are some pretty epic games. I've I've always enjoyed when the Gamecocks and the Tigers have gone head to head. I'm all for theater. That's what I. That's what I want. I want compelling drama. Uh, and yep. so, you know, that means that means Clemson and South Carolina get to play each other another white knuckle thrill ride in this yep. uh, Columbia Regional. So be it. That's right. As uh, Homer Simpson said, I love legitimate theater. So, <laughs> uh, Fitzy, a great podcast. We could go on and on, but uh, we will go on and on later this week. We'll have our uh, now. It's like what like our seventh year of epic. Postseason. I got to stop doing Jim Jim Rome impersonations, but we'll have a more uh, regional breakdown where we'll break down every regional 
uh, on the podcast later this week. And uh, since we might have to truncate that because we got a lot of analysis today. But uh, yeah. fun stuff today. Again, great weekend. Thank you for all that you do for college baseball. And, uh, again, thanks to the people at Project Lomo, projectlomo.mlblogs.com, for their sponsorship of the podcast. For Aaron Fitt, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America College podcast. So long, everybody. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.